Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Episode number 47. I'm Cam Connor along with my son Chris. So I'm excited about this episode. I know it's going to be a long one for you, Dad, but uh, and you're you actually don't think anyone would ever listen to a two-hour podcast, but I know a lot of people do. And you can uh, break it up into thirty-minute increments. We'll see what everyone thinks once we're done. But I am excited for this episode. We are doing a commentary of the movie Slapshot, a movie that I've heard lots about, but I've never watched before. And Dad, I know you have lots of opinions about this movie, and it's a movie that comes up quite a bit in the podcast. A lot of people ask about it, and I know that you've kind of interacted with the real-life characters of some of the characters of this movie. So how are you feeling about uh, two hours for this, Dad? Well... I haven't watched this since I'm going to say, I think it came out in 1977 or thereabouts. And as I mentioned on the last podcast, um, I was in Edmonton. We were on the road with the Houston Arrows and Gordie Howe. And I decided to go to the theater just to check this movie out. And I know when we walked out, Gordie was not happy with the portrayal of hockey players through this movie. He was pretty upset about uh, the way this movie made hockey players look like pretty simple players, simple people. And uh, so I'm here just to go over this today and uh, just give you my thoughts and what I'm looking at, which is real, what's not real. I fought this guy, I fought that guy. I'll just tell you a little bit about it. I don't don't know what I'm going to say right now, But we're going to flow and uh, see where it takes us. Well, that's good, because normally before we start an episode, we both don't know what we're going to say. And that makes it a little better. So it's not on script. Um, We you did ask for some questions just a couple of hours ago. So we got a few. So I'll try and pepper them in when it makes sense. And uh, I'm also going to be looking for some fun facts and things about the movie while while we're watching. So. I guess you could listen to this in two ways. You could either follow along on the movie and we'll tell you when to press play and you'll get the general idea of where we're at. Or you could uh, do what I do, which is just listen along uh, whenever I listen to other podcasts, do commentaries of things like this. Uh, It's almost better because you can just focus on what uh, the story is being told and the observations. But either way will work. Uh, So we are just about to get ready. I will tell you when we press play. Okay, so we press play. Uh, We're going to check it out. So who are these two guys? Do you have any idea? Well, I don't know who they are. Um, We'll have to to see where this thing goes. And as as it starts unfolding, then we'll, we'll figure them out. Okay, so this looks like an example of uh, them trying to make you 
not look too intelligent that every hockey player is French. Well, this part's actually pretty funny. The guy's showing a lot of cross-check and high stick. Oh, this is pretty good. I mean, they're just... It's a little bit of a comedy in this show, so... Yeah, I don't, I don't mind this part. And so did you find in the States that a lot of people didn't understand the rules of hockey? Well, you know, in the States... Basketball, baseball, football, those are their number one sports. Um, you know, southern states, they don't have outdoor rinks. So for some of the fans, this would be foreign. And, uh, you know, they'd get a kick out of this for sure. So they're just introducing the teams and... And here's Paul Newman, which surprised me. He can skate pretty well. At least he can go from the boards to center ice. So it says, uh, the original screenplay is based on Nancy Dowd's brother's experience playing minor league hockey in the U.S. in the 1970s. And his name was Ned Dowd. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. So do we know what city this takes place in? Well, I think they're called Johnstown's Chief. I don't know really where it was filmed, but yeah. uh, it's in uh, Johnstown. I think. Yeah, you're right, because it says uh, the screenwriter was living in L.A. when she got a call from her brother, who was a member of the Johnstown's Jets hockey team. He gave her the bad news that the team was for sale. So I, I don't, I think this, and I don't even know what league this is. I don't know if it's the East Coast, because in the pros you get the NHL, you get the, the American Hockey League, one below the NHL, and then you get the East Coast League, which is below that. So it's like three levels down from making it to the NHL. So it's like a typical minor league game. There's not a lot of people in the stands at the start of the season. But I think as this season goes along, they've got enough players that can make it entertaining that you'll start seeing a lot more people in the stands. And as you can tell if you're watching this, quite a few of the players aren't wearing helmets either. Back then, you didn't have to wear helmets. In fact, we were encouraged starting in junior hockey not to wear helmets on the ice which doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would you encourage? Why would you be encouraged? Because the guys before us, when there's only six teams in the NHL, they never wore helmets. I think maybe might have been one helmet, you know, back in the six teams days. Nobody wore helmets, so it was just something you... I know I went to the guys before me never wore a helmet. I never wore a helmet. So if you had to guess, how old do you think Paul Newman was when he made this movie? Oh, it's a guess. Um, I'm going to say Paul Newman was 35 years old. 
Wrong. I probably would have guessed that too. Says he was uh, 52. Wow. And he's still alive today, isn't he? I don't. Uh, well, it says he would have been 95, so I'm guessing yeah, okay. he's. The word would have been 95. <laughs> Let's see. He died in 2008 in Westport, Connecticut. So I think what you're seeing here is just a regular club team that's not winning very many games. They don't have a lot of people in the stands. And uh, I think Paul Newman kind of figures out that they're going to have to change the chemistry of the team and start putting uh, some spectators in the stands as well as start getting some respect on their own home ice and uh, start winning some hockey games. So when this was filming, probably in 1976, because it aired in 77, was there a buzz around the hockey world that there's a hockey movie being filmed? You know, I don't know that we knew that there was something in the works with Paul Newman. I think after the fact we heard about it. And of course, there's hardly any hockey movies ever up until that time. So we were excited to see it at the end. And most of them that I did see were pretty lame. It wasn't very good at all. So, you know, as much as they kind of mock hockey players off the ice and on the ice, I do believe this was the best hockey film that uh, has ever been made so far. And I'm not talking about, you know, they did uh, when the U.S. won the gold medal. They've done stories on that. Okay, you know, that was great. But this is this is a hockey film, and uh, it's, it's pretty good. And so what they're doing here is, you'll see as, as it goes along and more players are introduced, They've got names that sound similar to the real people they're portraying. I remember one, his name was Goldthorpe, who's the real guy, and they called him Ogie Oglethorpe, just as an example. <laughs> A lot of people, I think, were from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, right? Uh, I've heard, I just have... Keep I think Clark Gillies yeah. was from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. My old roommate in Flintlock was from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. But that name was usually on a lot of the game shows. It's such an odd name. So you asked where this was filmed. It was uh, filmed in an assortment of cities throughout Pennsylvania and upstate New York. Okay. Yeah, they're having a fashion show. I don't know if that's for publicity or trying to raise some money. When I played with the Rangers, we also had a fashion show. And it was, it's a little bit different. We had uh, like Ron Duguay, who's pretty well like a model. He was doing uh, advertisements for different clothing companies. And uh, so I think this fashion show is not quite the same as the one the Rangers had. Uh, and don't forget, I was in the fashion show. Oh, good point. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> I that. I still have, uh, I yeah. guess there were Ray-Ban yeah. sunglasses. Yeah. They were yeah. the Risky Business sunglasses that I got to watch. I, I don't know how old I was, four, five. Yeah. And Chris is still available if you want to hire him. Yeah.
So this this team, you know, they're they're the typical hockey team. Um, you've got some guys that are hockey players that could score goals, and then as it moves along, you'll see they'll bring in a lot of the tough guys, so that uh, it, it, the the guys that can score goals, they're going to be able to score goals because nobody really wants to get involved with them and take them out physically because they're going to get. It's not beat out of them if they get too rough with those goal scorers. Just like the way it was in the 70s and early 80s. It was pretty rough hockey. And again, this isn't too far away from how it was on the ice. It is exaggerated. But as this uh, Slapshot movie goes along and they start playing more games, uh, uh, it, it, uh, it was scary hockey to play, I can tell you that. So. And so, Paul Newman, he's the coach. Yeah, he's a player coach. So there's not too many player coaches. Uh, well, not in the NHL there isn't, but I think as, uh, in the minors there might have been a few more. But they look like they're living in a mining town. Like I lived in Flin Flon, which is a mining town in northern Manitoba. And... Uh, it was, it was a different spot to, to live, but it was uh, wonderful people, and it uh, did justice for my career, that's for sure. Does the, the clothes and the cars and the scenery bring you back a bit? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> There's a few cars when I watch this that wish I would have put some money in and just started away because they're worth a lot of money today. So what's happening now is I think the guy is the GM of the team or president. He's telling Paul Newman that they've got some new players coming in. And Paul doesn't recognize any names. And he's saying, who are these guys? But he'll find out. And uh, I think he's, he's going to be pretty happy. Because you'll start putting people in the stands. And the team will start making money. And uh, the future of the franchise is going to be secure. And that's what I always talk about. Is, you know, you've got to be able to put a team on the ice. That's going to sell the game of hockey. Back in the day, you had to have some good players, and I, when I say good, just guys that could score, and you had to have some physical guys, because every team did. Today, it's not quite the same. It's more, excuse me, more one-dimensional, where you've got to be able to skate, skate, skate. That's what it's all about. And uh, pretty well, every game you go into the other team's rink nowadays, it's like, you don't hit me, and I don't hit you. It's, it's a different type of game. And as I said, they're they're better hockey players today than, than we were back in my day. And now who do we see? <laughs> well, the movie Paul Newman is just looking at uh, the, the the three new hockey players in town, and they're called the Hanson Brothers, and they're just breaking into a Coca-Cola machine because the machine took their quarter. And that's the first impression Paul Newman gets of these guys. And are they played by the actual hockey players? Yeah, those three guys, in the real 
game of hockey, the three brothers were called the Carlson brothers, and they were all around six three, six feet three, you know, anywhere from two hundred to two fifteen to two eighteen in weight. And they all had big thick glasses and uh, many nights they had tape between the you know, the lenses to hold the glasses together. And, uh, you know, now they're showing these guys unpacking their suitcases and they got toy cars in there, which, you know, which just makes me shake my head. Of course, that uh, none of the hockey players ever brought anything like that on the road. The only reason I'm saying that is because people that don't know the game, they might think that that's really what the guys were doing. So I had to, I had to stick up for us. So Newman's giving the GM shit right now because he's not too impressed with these three new, three new hockey players because they're just like little kids. First impressions. So as this movie moves along and they finally get back to, you know, scenes on the ice, then Newman's going to start to see a whole different type of uh, team starting to evolve. So it says, a little bit of a, a fun fact is that Al Pacino really wanted the lead role. <laughs> I don't know if he could skate, but uh, it said, uh, because George Hill was directing it, I couldn't do it. I should have made that movie. That was my kind of character, the hockey player. Paul Newman is a great actor. It's not a matter of that. I read that script and passed it on to George Roy Hill that I wanted to talk to him about it. And he said, can he skate? That's all he was interested in, whether I could skate or not. Uh, he didn't want to talk about anything else. So, but I mean, I think you should skate if you're gonna have that role. Well, because that just brings the you know the level of uh, of buying into this movie when somebody is the lead actor and he doesn't know how to skate. Sure, you you could show him from you know the neck up, but that takes so much away. So I, I I'd like to ask Paul Newman. You know, if I ever would have bumped into him, how did you learn how to skate? Where did you learn how to skate? How old were you when you learned how to skate? So uh, it said that Paul Newman ended up doing a lot of his own skating in Slapshot, although professional hockey player Rod Bloomfield served as his on-ice stunt double for many sequences. Have you heard of Rod Bloomfield? No, I haven't. But, you know, I mean, we... You see, you know, Paul Newman skating on the ice with his face recognizable. Um, he wasn't a bad skater. You know, I'm not saying he could have hit pro, but he wasn't a bad skater. And so his double would come in when his back is to the, you know, to the cameras and something's being done. That's when his double would come in. So they're just in a bar right now and Newman's talking to some of the players, kind of getting to know them. And, So, a couple girls walk into the bar where the guys are drinking and Newman, he's saying, hey, I think I'm going to go over and talk to those girls. So, 
Paul's asked the wife to get up and dance, and so she's up there dancing with him. That's funny. So he's so now <laughs> he went over and asked the girl for a dance, and sure enough, they're up dancing. And uh, as it goes along, you can find out that that's Paul Newman's wife, movie wife. So here's another. While they're just uh, chatting, him and his wife, I'll tell you uh, one ex hockey player claims he wasn't cast in Slapshot because the filmmakers thought he might beat up Paul Newman. Who do you think that might be? How about... Well, how about... How about... Well, the, well they have the name Ogie Oglethorpe. Would that have been Goldthorpe? Ah, good guess. You're oh. correct. Uh, it says, Bill Goldie Goldthorpe was not a man to be trifled with. Over the span of his near 20-year hockey career... This enforcer earned a reputation as one of the sport's biggest bullies. Uh, it says he's recognized by his big curly blonde hair, and he had a mile-wide mean streak. Well, with this, and again, in the movie we're watching right now, they call him Ogie Oglethorpe. And uh, the guy's real name was Bill Goldthorpe. And uh, Bill did have that reputation. He played in the world hockey for a while. And he got kicked off the minute uh, off the off the the what do they call Saints? The one of the hockey teams. The Fighting Saints. Minnesota Fighting Saints. That's what I'm trying to say. He got kicked off because he ended up beating up his coach in the dressing room one night. So he had that reputation. I think he's he's been in prison, and so he was somebody that could just fly off the handle but back in those days um if he could skate they put him in the lineup because it was rough hockey so he'd be right at home there and he'd do all the fighting and i don't know if he'd win any because he wasn't like a six foot three guy i don't know what i think you know maybe in my mind he was probably somebody like uh five eight five nine five ten somewhere right in there and he probably weighed like 175 pounds. That's what I'm thinking. So maybe Chris could look that up. But, you know, but sometimes when you're a lunatic and he looks like a lunatic, people just back off. Well, it's interesting. It says, during pre-production, Newman and his brother Art would regularly attend Johnston, Johnstown Jets games. Often they'd invite a player to join the Slapshot cast afterwards. One night, they took in a contest between the Jets and the Goldthorpe-led Binghamton Dusters. True to form, the scrapper picked a fight with a fan, earning him one charge of assault. Later in the dressing room, Goldthorpe erupted. I had a Coke bottle, and I was so angry I threw it at Paul Stewart because he wouldn't shut up. Goldthorpe told the Golden Mail, the bottle hit the wall, and at that moment, Newman's brother walked into the room and got coke all over him. That was it. They thought I was an undesirable. Uh, the shoe fits. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, it's going to be some dead spots here because they're out of us talking. And, and, you know, I think I'm here just to talk about the hockey part of it. And, uh, you know, when you do see the main actors, and, and you know, they've actually made, and I couldn't tell you when I say they've made a lot of money, but 
the Hansen brothers, for the people that don't know. In reality, they're modeled after the Carlson brothers. That was the three guys in Johnstown, was the Carlson brothers. And as it worked out, when this film happened, two of the three brothers were available for the movie at Jack Carlson, who, in my opinion, was the toughest of all three of them, um, was playing at a higher level and he, they wouldn't allow him time off to come and do the movie. That's the way I understand it. So he was out of the movie and they put in a guy named Dave Hansen. And, uh, you know, you see on a regular basis, I know, they travel throughout Canada each year showing up at different functions. They're paid to show up there. They wear their Georgetown's Chiefs jerseys. They put on big thick glasses with the white tape in between the, the lenses and they play the role. And, um, you know, they probably made a hell of a lot of money because of this movie and it's the best thing that ever happened to them. And as it goes along, you know, I fought all the Carlsons. There's one brother who really wasn't a fighter and I think his name was Steve. And so Steve never looked for fights and so I know I never fought Steve. Um, but Jack and, uh, and I think his name was Jeff. They, uh, they were tough. So they're all on a bus. Does that bus look like the buses you used to take? Yeah, they're always, you know, they're Greyhound buses and the seats go back, honest to God, maybe four inches back. And there's a toilet in the back that always smelled. And, uh, and dusty old curtains. Oh, it just wasn't fun. <laughs> so, you know, today I think they got, anybody's got to use a bus, they got their own buses. And the seats go back and they're comfortable. It's like a big spider's nest when you're traveling for nine hours on a bus. You just can't get comfortable and you've got your feet going across the aisles. And so if you got to go from the front of the bus to the back to go to the bathroom and back, you got to kind of climb over people and walk on the arms of the chairs. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, you got to be young to be doing that. That's all I got to say. So does uh, the, the dressing room that they're in, does that, I recognize the long underwear that you, that they're wearing that you still have. Uh, I don't think that uh, the, the hockey players nowadays they wear don't. that. Uh, they do That's a good point because they're showing in the dressing room right now. We used to have one piece underwear and um, you got buttons up the front and it goes right down to your ankles. It's one piece. And then they have a trap drawer on the back where you could unbutton it if you had to go sit out on the toilet. But, uh, it's... Are you going to post one of those pictures on Instagram? <laughs> well, I don't think... I don't think anyone wants to see no, it. No, I don't think anybody wants to see it. But, but yeah, you're right the scary thing is you still do have it. <laughs> I do, I do have it. And the thing is, when I think of those underwear, when I played junior, and I, we'd go on the road from Flint Fawn for anywhere from two... Two solid weeks, and we played oh, probably 10 games, 11 games in that two weeks. Like We played quite a bit, and our trainers, and we didn't have to. We finished a game on the road, and then you jump on the bus. You, you take your equipment off, you throw it under the bus, and you travel usually quite a long time at nighttime till you get to the next city you got to play in. 
and then you got to take your equipment out of the, you know, out from under the bus and your underwear because you played the night before. It froze together because it, it was, you know, all sweaty and you'd have to pull it apart. And next time you got on the ice, it was wet and uh, stinky and the trainers never washed those things. But again, you can only do this when you're young because if you got older as a pro, you would resent this and uh, go buy your own underwear. But you don't make any money in junior, so you just put up with it. And, you know, I'm looking now when they show the new players, the Hanson brothers in the movie, and they got their big, thick Coke bottle glasses on, which was, the, that was exactly how they were on the ice. In reality, the Carlson brothers, big, thick, all three of them had these big, thick glasses. So that, that part wasn't exaggerated. So it says uh, how you've kind of talked about you're, there's parts that you're not really impressed with because of how they portray hockey players. So it says, uh, though decried by much of the NHL upon release, many league higher-ups felt fans would lump the brawl-filled brawl 1970s NHL with the brawl-filled minor league featured in the film. The movie is still a staple on NHL buses and team charters. It's not uncommon for NHL players born years after the movie's release to name it as their favorite movie. In locker rooms, players refer to reporters who read an untrue rumor with conviction as Dickie Dunn. <laughs> you had a few Dickie Dunns in your life, I'm guessing. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of reporters that traveled with us that I had respect for. And there's just a handful of low-down reporters that I have no respect for. And, uh, some of them are still in business, so I got to keep my mouth shut because they always get the last laugh. You could say something about them, tell them the truth, and the next thing you know, they'll write an article on you. You got no rebuttal. You just have to take it. It's out there. So I've learned to keep my mouth shut now with reporters. But uh, some of them are pretty sneaky, like not all of them by any means, but some of them are. Have you heard of Bruce Boudreaux? Sure have. Okay, so it says, maybe you know this, but I'll mention it. So he's the head coach of NHL's Minnesota Wild. Is he still? Do you know? Like last no, year? I think, uh, I, you know, he's kind of bounced around a bit. He's been a good coach over the years, but I think he's now, I'm going to say, and I don't know for sure, I don't think he's coaching anymore. But I, if I'm not mistaken, he played on that team too, the yeah. so Minnesota says, Fighting Saints. Uh, well, what this says is he appeared... In this film, wearing number seven for the Hyanna Sport Presidents, Boudreaux was one of several players that was actually playing for the Johnstown Jets minor league hockey team that were used as extras. It was number seven. So are they in a hotel room? Yeah. Is know, that realistic where y'all yeah. got squished into a few rooms? Well, <laughs> you get your own. Well, you, you know, there's two beds. And sometimes they bring cots in because they didn't want to pay for extra rooms. So the rookie would get the cot that was in the room and the veterans would get the real beds. But, you know, looking at this scene, they're in somebody's room and they're drinking some beer together. And that's what you do as a team. You get to know each other. You know, some guys are playing cards, some are drinking beer, some are just watching. And that's that's real. That That happens.
So, you know, that's all part of bonding. And I talk about bonding. That's exactly, we used to go to the bars. Not because, well, I didn't go just because, you know, I, I needed beer. I went there just to be with the guys. And that's how most of the guys were. We'd go out. The bar was just a spot where we could sit at a big table or a few big tables all together. And just BS. But, you know, there's some that had, did turn into alcoholics. Some of the hockey players and some of them, you know, they paid a price even during their career and after the career because you could never shake that bottle. You mentioned you weren't sure uh, what league the Johnstown Jets were. Right? So I, I was going to say uh, East Coast. Well, it says here it's the now defunct minor pro North American Hockey League. So that might even been one level below. I, I don't know. I don't even know if I ever heard of that. But it was a fun life, I gotta say. When you're, you know, when when you're hanging out with a bunch of guys, we uh, we just we did a lot of laughing, and you don't have to grow up, you know, at that age. You don't have to start figuring out what am I gonna do for a living. You go out and you just have some fun with the guys, and you know, when you're in the minors, you're gonna have to start thinking about what are you gonna do, but. Uh, you know, when you're playing pro and you're making good money, you don't really think about the career coming to an end. But uh... So, uh, since there's some, like, a romantic scene, I'm going to ask you a question from Howie, who wrote, Happy New Year's, Cam, to you and your family. I personally think that Slapshot is a classic, especially to those that understood the game. Hockey in the 1970s was rough and tumble. My question is, intimidation was a part of a strategy to help win games. What are some of the best crazy tactics you've seen or experienced? Take care. Well, you know, I don't know about the word tactics. You know, it's almost like the only thing I could say, and it goes back to this team, like the, the team where these guys that are in Slapshot, they were brought up from the minors to play hockey for Minnesota Fighting Saints. And they were told, you guys had better get out there and play that aggressive hockey. That's the reason we brought you up. And if you don't, well, then you're all back down. Well, this is a big break for those four or five, six guys they brought up. So back in the day when I was with Phoenix Roadrunners, we had the warm-ups and uh, we said, oh, look, they got a new lineup. We didn't think much about it. But boy, when that game started, uh, there was a guy named Paul Hogram, who is the president of the Flyers right now. He was not told the story. He was beating up my roommate on the ice. And so I had to jump in there. And uh, and I jumped Paul in the middle of the fight. I didn't hit him. I just got him off my, my roommate, Barry Dean. And uh, I thought that was the end of it. Well, that was the excuse that the Minnesota Fighting Saints needed to start a bench brawl which means every player on that bench came onto the ice. And, and so then your own team has to leave the benches just to make sure, you, you know, you guys are outnumbered on the ice. And uh, it was a major fight out there. I think there was 12 fights going on at one time. And um, they, had, they had the guys that were brought up, every one of them had their hands taped like boxers. And, um, you know, so that tells you that they were ready to do some fighting that night because, you know, none of our guys had our hands taped up. And the reason you tape your hands up so that 
for the most part is you don't break your hand. I broke my hand three times and there were some nights I knew I had to fight and I wanted to get them taped. But if you got in a fight and you cut somebody with the hand that's taped, you were suspended for quite a long time. So, you know, but back in the world hockey, back in those days, you get in a fight, you could pull hair. It was like a street brawl, like anything goes. And, uh, you know, there was there really wasn't much consequence for being a little goofy out there. Like I said, you know, when I was in Flin Flon in junior, I went in the other team's dressing room and I beat up a guy, you know, during the game. And so, you know, the league suspended me. I got suspended for one game. That was it. And, you know, today, if I walked into somebody's dressing room and I beat somebody up in there, you'd be out 40 games. You'd have to be in front of the, you know, the, you know, the league president. It's like you'd pay an awful price for it. So the game has changed today, but I would say the movie that we're watching right now, Slapshot, a lot of that violence, some of it was right on and some of it's a little bit exaggerated. So as, as, as we move along, cause they're just talking off the ice and the movie is just kind of taking place off the ice and eventually you know, they'll be back on the ice running around at each other, but uh, we'll see. So these rinks, do they look similar to how you played? Like the boards are pretty low. I don't even, I don't think there's netting for the fans or no, is there? Back in those days, there wasn't nets. And the nets only came about because so often the pucks would go over the boards and hit people right in the face. And there was many nights that we'd have to come off our bench and throw towels into the stands because the, the fans were bleeding, especially down low. So, you know, some of the people were trying to sue the NHL and, and the different leagues. So they, they ended up putting up the nets um, to prevent this, the pucks from going, you know, into the stands. Do you remember any uh, fans that got particularly oh, I, injured? Oh, many, many nights, especially the, the one that was the most common is if, you know, your defenseman's behind the net and somebody's chasing him and he go to shoot it off the boards and get it out of your end and he raised it too high and it would go over the glass and people in the first six, eight rows, they I many nights I saw him getting right in the side of the face, right in the mouth, uh, in the forehead. Like, it hurts those pucks. Let me tell you, it hurts. So what do you, so this is like the first brawl that we've seen, I think. Yep. What, so, what are your thoughts? That's it. Realistic, not real? Yeah, well, it, you know, it's realistic. And uh, one of the problems is, is when I see, you know, when there's a fight going on and the linesman grab one guy, so the other guy's free and he's punching you in the head and in the face. Like, that is such a bad thing that they, you know, they should go in there at exact same time. You take one guy, I'll take the other guy, and you break it up that way. You don't just grab one guy. And that's what I'm seeing here they did. And then you see these goalies running around right now trying to fight, and they got their mask off. Well, number one, goalies, when they fought, they always kept their mask on. And they also, some of them, you know, they weren't very tough at all. But there's an unwritten rule that if you mess with a goalie, then uh, your whole team's got to come after you. Like, that's just how it is. So you don't see, if anybody starts with a goalie, 
everybody, even if you're not a fighter, you better jump in there. And that's what I'm seeing right now. This goalie running around being an idiot that started the, you know, the bench problem. But, you know, I think they ended up, Chiefs ended up winning the game. And, uh, and Paul Newman's pretty happy with the game and the results. And because I'm talking so much, I don't even know if they won. I think they won. <laughs> they look happy. <laughs> well, that's just it. So it was, must have been a successful game. And, I, and I've said it a hundred times, you know. It's a different game today, but back in those days, if I was an owner of the team, if I was the GM of the team, you got to sell the game of hockey, and you got to combine some rough guys and some finesse players. And so if you want to play a tough game, we got those boys. And if you want to just play a game of hockey, we got the guys that can score too. So I, I'm expecting that you'll see, if, you, if you're following along, there's hardly anybody in the stands, but as as the games progress and uh, the reputations progress, more and more people will start getting into the stands and enjoying the games. Does this kind of remind you of when you played for that one team that didn't that you didn't have any home games? Remember? Yeah. And that was kind of like a barely hanging on team. Is it That's similar? It. So what team with, was that again? That was with the New York Rangers. I got sent to their farm team, which was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, they didn't want to spend any money. There was a guy named Craig Patrick who was the GM. He didn't want to spend any money on the farm team. And uh, he stuck us in the cheapest place. It didn't even have showers. It had a fire hose. So you go in the showers and they spray it. These are the miners. Like, they don't care about you in the miners. And we had to hose each other off with fire hoses and the, the dressing room didn't have heaters that had one heater in a corner and you froze your ass off in there when you took your clothes off to get your, your gear on. The rink that we changed in was the rink that we played the games in, but they never had any practices there. And so, you know, we had to find a mall that had ice and the one we found in Tulsa that had ice, you weren't allowed sticks or pucks on the ice. And that's what this, you know, they, they made us play there. That's, that was the Rangers, you know, because Kirkpatrick, he didn't want to spend any more money on the miners. So it got to the point, the fans didn't want to come and watch. It was just a hole in the rink we were playing in. So the team folded and the, the coach said to us, okay, you know what? You can get dispersed to other players. Some guys won't find a home or we can play every game on the road. I think the league wanted us to play so they all kind of kicked in some money and so we played every single game i think for i want to say three to four months on the road and so we were in hotels the whole time and we talk about bonding how these guys go to the bar and that that's what these guys used to do you know when we were playing in the minors they'd go to the strip bars just sit there just guys with the guys they go to the bars and just have lunches and you know, steak sandwiches and beer together. And so we bonded as a team and we played the same way on the ice. And we won. It was in the Central Hockey League. And uh, we won the whole championship despite having to be playing it on the road. It was, it was a good experience, but it was a long experience. Never, you know, not getting to see you. Chris was just a little boy and he, him and his mother, they stayed in Tulsa because Chris was in like... Uh, some kind of preschool, which was a very good one. And so the wife decided that 
Chris had to stay in one spot. Couldn't be living in a hotel room, so. And that preschool, there was wild peacocks. I remember that. That's true. I don't know where you brought me. Some some forest, but uh, That's true. there was you wild pull- peacocks, and they were... They weren't tame, I don't think. No, that is true. Because when you pulled up to drop your little ones off, these peacocks were walking the ground, and uh, it was pretty different from uh, coming from Winnipeg, Manitoba, when there's no such thing as a peacock in Canada. So it says. Uh, the referees in Slapshot wear red striped jerseys instead of black, which was how it was done in the WHA. That's exactly right. As I'm watching the show, and they show a little bit of the games, the World Hockey tried to differentiate themselves in any way possible from the NHL. So the NHL had their black and whites is what they wore. The World Hockey said, we're going to wear use red and white. So the ref stood out, and uh, that's exactly what they're doing in this movie, is, is the referees have that colorful red and white uniform. Yeah, it's pretty interesting when I see these scenes, which are pretty realistic as far as, you know, the, they're in the like the bathrooms with the mirrors, and you can shave back there, etc., etc., etc. You know they got the cinder blocks as walls, and it's it's all third, fourth class, and that's what the miners was all about, third or fourth class. And they don't care about you. You're never going to get an opportunity, especially at this level um, of slap shot. Uh, that's so far down the ladder, you know. It's, so the guys that did get the opportunity, again, was probably mostly like the, the Carlson brothers or in this movie, the Hanson brothers. But they did it They did it because they, when they came up to the big leagues, they had the guts to keep doing what they're doing against, you know, guys that are a lot tougher now. And so we talked about Paul Newman being 52. You said that you watched this movie with Gordy Howe. How old was he around when Gordy you was about forty-eight years old? Oh, okay, so they were similar in age. Yeah, they were. They were. And so, <laughs> I want to ask why? Why did the two of you go to the movie? Like, how were you Gordy's friend? And like, how did <laughs> how did that all happen? Just the two of you did, when there's a team of I don't know, fifteen to twenty yeah. people. Well, you know, I think Gordy was everybody's friends. I wasn't anybody special. Um, you know, I, I can't really give you an honest answer as to how did we just end up going. We could have just, you know, been in the lobby together after we got off the plane and put our bags in the room trying to figure out what do we want to do, do you want to go eat? And Gordy might have said, you know what, there's this movie, you want to go to the movie? And I said, I'm in. So it was just the two of us that went. And, uh, and again, it was uh, pretty special, special, you know, listening to Gordy as this movie's going on because we've never seen it. And then there's a couple names because I'm talking so much, you know, I, I, I don't know, like some of the hockey players, the real hockey players, I know who they are when they played in the world hockey um, and who... You know, they've got people named after them in, in, in this Slapshot movie, but, uh, you know, and I see them stitching them up on the lips. And, uh, 
I don't know if you ever had your lip stitched. Does that ever hurt? I've had it right under my nose. Oh my gosh, does that hurt? And you get your lip stitched. And you know, for the most part, they didn't use freezing. I, I, you get a whack with the stick, you get a puck in the face, and uh, that part of your body on your face is numb from just getting whacked so hard. And many times, many times, you go in the dressing room on the road, and they just stitch you up, and you feel the prick of the needle going in, but they didn't give you any freezing. Just reminded me of that when I saw a guy getting uh, needles, getting stitching in his lips. So I have a question. So in this movie, you see the three brothers always together. They're sitting in the dress in the dressing room right next to each other. It looks like they're on the same line. Is that how it really was? Were they always on the same team? Yeah. And on the, they always were. Well, you know, they they. I don't know before the the Johnstown team, um, but I know when they got brought up, they were on. They probably were on the John, Johnstown. All three of them. I think they were. And then when they got up, they brought all three. And then I think the one that had the most successful career was Jack Carlson. So, you know, as the other ones didn't make the team or they got traded from each other, um, you know, they started playing by themselves. But it, uh, like I said, I'm watching this now and I recognize some faces. And, and you know, they're, they're bumping into the refs and... Uh, jumping over the nets and it's, it's it happens but it's exaggerated the way they do it you know on tv here so you know what usually happens is when you get a team like the johnstown jets well they say you know what Next time we play them, we're going to get some tough guys of our own. And that's what makes it tough hockey, because now they go out and they find three or four tough guys, and the games are just, you better keep your head up the whole 60 minutes, because both teams have, you know, tough guys. So that's, that's usually the way it worked. It's uh, interesting to hear the old kind of announcers of games because they don't sound like that anymore, I don't think. No. No. So here you go again. There goes the scrapping on the ice. Everybody on the ice, six guys against six guys. And it's usually the goalies fight goalies. So the one goalie will come down the other end. Um, especially if he sees the goalie grab one of the a player, then again, unwritten rule, the goalie has to go down and make it an even fight. So he goes in and he takes on the other team's goalie. But most of the time, the goalies don't fight. You know, they're, that's, they're a different breed, but there's a couple of crazy goalies. Like Hextall? Yeah, Hextall and that Billy Smith that played for Islanders. You know, they were famous for two-handing with their sticks and slashing and using their blocker and jabbed you in the face. And, and the only reason those two guys got away with it, they acted like they were so tough. They only got away with it because they had a tough hockey team. So you put those two goalies on teams that didn't have any physical team players on their team, they would try that once or twice. They would get their clock cleaned. 
and you will watch them clean that act up and all of a sudden they're going to just try to stop pucks instead of being like the tough guy on the ice. I don't have respect for them when they did that. If you were on a team that didn't have any fighters and you were the goalie and you were acting like the tough guy and I'll slash you and I'll punch you and I'll go after you, then I'd respect you. But they did it because they had tough guys that would jump in there in a heartbeat. Like I said, if you mess with the goalie, and the goalies know this, everybody comes after you. You don't have a choice. You did something to Hextall or to Smith. The, whoever's on the ice, two, three of them will come at you right away. So it's not just fighting with goalie. I fought a goalie one time. You know, I'm in the war hockey. You know, he hit me with the blocker. He broke a goalie stick over my back. Um, and he kept his mask on the whole time. So, like, what are you going to do to him? So they're in a movie. Oh, no, I was going to say it looked like they were in a the movie theater, but they're not. Uh, it looks like they're at, at a ring. <laughs> That's what happens stands. when I'm trying to find some new trivia to, to share with you. And again, they talk about bonding. So there must have been a, somewhere on a day off. And they all go to the local rink and they're watching, you know, some female skaters on the ice. I don't know. They're just part of the figure skating program, but they're all in the stands together, you know, watching it and uh, just chirping as guys do. So it's kind of interesting since uh, you played for the New York Rangers. It says Michael Ontkeen, who played Ned, was a promising hockey player prior to becoming an actor and was offered a contract from the New York Rangers after this, but he turned it down. Which I don't know why he would turn it down, but maybe he was doing well in acting. Well, yeah, if it, maybe that's it, Chris, because you don't get nearly as many stitches of broken bones when you're an actor. So, you know, they're back at the bar scene. And, uh, it reminds me of, you know, the suits. You'd wear a suit and then you'd have a shirt. And you'd have an open collar shirt and the collar folded over your suit jacket. That's how all these guys are walking around. I don't think you see people doing that today, but that's exactly how we walked around, just like that. And, you know, there's uh, some French guys, and, uh, you know, I ha my hat's off to these French guys in the movie. Because, you know, they speak two languages, English and French, but it was always, you know, funny. Because sometimes the French guys, and again, I'm not laughing at them. It's just sometimes they use the wrong word in English and it just gave you a little bit of humor and they knew we weren't laughing at them. They, 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 were, they provided a little comic relief. Um, but again, you know, they can speak two languages. I, I have trouble with one. Well, you have that story about ordering food. Do you remember it? Oh, yeah, yeah. One, the one that... They would just, I forget oh, his name, he would oh, just copy the order. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the, when we're, uh, uh, one of the French guys out of Quebec who was just learning English, and he certainly couldn't read English at the time, and you know, by the end of the year, he could speak two languages, and so we went in the restaurant and, uh, early in the season, 
he'd hang with us. He didn't say too much because, you know, the, the, the language barrier. And then we'd go to order in the restaurant. And uh, we realized that he didn't know how to read, which is understandable, to read English. And so whenever the guy beside him ordered, he could say, me too, and a Coke for his order. So, of course, being hockey players, we're going to have some fun with that. And so we talked amongst ourselves the next time, and uh, we went out with him, and uh, we said, okay, whoever orders before him, just order something gross off the menu that you think you could get down, and uh, he probably wouldn't like. So, I don't know, I think it was liver and onions or something along those lines, and that's what he ordered with this guy. He'd say, me too in the Coke. And when the food come, you could <laughs> He kind of looked and he knew we said about base and you, by the end of the year, he'd say, you fucking guys. And so it was pretty funny. We had some fun. And, you know, you see the guys hanging out right now on the bus. And there's fans that they're wearing the, 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 the glasses, the big thick glasses and the shaking hands out the window. I mean, that doesn't happen because if you start leaning out the window trying to touch people in the bus beside you, the coach would come down on you pretty hard. So, you know, that's a little bit exaggerated. Or a lot exaggerated. So it says Universal Pictures offered Steve Carlson, Jeff Carlson and David Hansen the chance to star in their own spin-off film. But all three turned it down to return to their professional hockey playing careers. Surprising. Well, you know, Chris, it's uh, you. I think most people would love to think they got a secret talent. I think they were just realistic that you know it was a hockey movie. This is what they did for a living, and uh, you know you might make some money on one film or, but you know, long term. There's a thousand actors out there waiting on tables, waiting for their break. And so I just think that uh, they were probably pretty smart to say, you know what, let me go back to my roots. This is what I do best. And, you know, I got to say, most hockey players love what they do. Like it's, you love playing the game of hockey. I mean, I, I can't speak about the guys today. It's a business. But back in our day, we loved the game of hockey and the life that uh, we got to lead. So it doesn't surprise me that they turned it down. I mean, you know, I'd say, okay, you guarantee me X amount of money, X amount of film. And if the money was pretty stupid, I would say, okay, I'm in, I'll do it. But I don't think they got those kind of offers. And, you know, what they're doing right now, they're in a warm-up. So you each get half the ice and you skate in circles and you loosen your legs up and then you break out the pucks and, you know, you skate, you know, up to the red line. And uh, you you would tend to look at the other team and especially guys you didn't like and they'd look at them, you'd look at them and they know what is coming. Well, and every now and then, not very often, There'd be some fights in the warm-ups. And so this is what's going on right now. It's a full 
full-fledged brawl. So unless this happened in the minor leagues, um, I never saw full-fledged brawl in the warm-ups. There'd be too many suspensions, I think. You just can't have a, a brawl before the game starts. So there's there's someone singing the national anthem. Was there someone in your career that you thought sang the national anthem the best? Yeah, but I, I don't know their names. Yeah. Like, what you team know, were you playing for? Like, I know that there was a lady who sang the Star Spangled Banner, I believe, um, Kate Smith. Uh, with the Flyers, and so she would, they would pay her to come each game to sing that. She was like a good luck charm, but, you know, for the most part, the singers were all pretty good. Montreal Canadiens, there was a guy named Doucette, and he was uh, really good at what he did, and then he retired. So there's some that just sound like everybody else, and there's a few that are much more distinctive. And then nowadays I look on TV and there's a few that think it's all about them. They put their skates on and they're skating around the ice singing and they got a tux on. You know, I'm old school. Just sing the song. It's not about you. Don't try to bring the spotlight on you. Interesting. It was, doesn't have to do a slap shot, but I was looking up Kate Smith and the Flyers. And it says, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers remove a statue of Kate Smith over her racist songs. So, I'm not going to read her whole article, but if anyone's interested, looks like there's some controversy you know, with her, but her voice must have been good. Well, it was. Like, you know, you got to sing it with emotion. Because, I mean, hockey's an emotional game. Sports is an emotional game. And, and, you know, if, if somebody's like that Doucette, when you sing it with some feeling, it's just no different than a coach. We had coaches that, uh, and the one I think the most is, is Herb Brooks with the Rangers. He would get you just fired up by his speeches to you. And he'd, he'd challenge you to get out there and do your best. And he'd plant seeds in your head. And so, so you know... Those are the kind of singers that I like before a game that can really sing that song and not just sing it the way it's supposed to, you know, with feeling. And uh, and and that's, like I said, it's like the coaches getting you pumped up before the game. So I appreciate those kind of uh, singers that will get that emotion and those juices flowing in you before the game. And I see them on their buses now and is traveling in at nighttime, which reminds me, I remember we were traveling on the road in the winter and it was freaking cold out there. And all of a sudden our bus stops and we have to pull over the side of the road. And we're in the middle of nowhere at nighttime and we got the hockey team. And so the bus driver, he says, you know what? The only way I think we can get this started is do you mind pushing the bus? So we're on a highway and we go and push the back of the bus. It's a heavy bus, obviously. But there was quite a few of us, and we pushed and pushed and pushed, and then he popped the clutch, and the bus started again. But if you ever look, especially in the wintertime, you know, the diesel, the exhaust goes all up against the back of the bus, and our hands were blacker than hell for the longest time from pushing the bus. But who has to push your team bus? Did you ever get to know your bus drivers, or were they different all the time? You know, uh, quite often... The, I don't know if the bus company just 
said the same guy's going to go all the time or the team wanted the same guy. So when you, you know, the guys we had were always pretty good. There was sometimes different guys, but for the most part, it was the same bus drivers. Uh, that's what they did for a living. So I think if they were good, the teams would say, hey, we want this guy. You know, we had one bus driver I remember in junior called Buddha. And we'd always want old Buddha because he was somebody that could stay on the road and he could drive for hours and hours and hours without ever sliding off the highway into the ditches. And so you know, we felt pretty comfortable when Buddha was driving, which uh, he also was kind of a character because the guy that owned our hockey team, um, he would sit in the front seat by the driver. And then again, they had, you know, in the back of the bus was the, where the bathroom was, the toilet. And so this owner, he wasn't a smiley type guy. His name was Ben Hatskin. And so, you know, it was reported, and I don't know, he was like a, into a mafia. I don't, I don't know if that's true. But he would walk to the back of the bus, and as he would, uh, the bus driver could figure out, okay, he's been in there five, six, eight seconds. He's probably got his pants down, taking a pee. And as he's, you ever tried peeing on, on, you know, standing up on a bus? It's not that easy because you kind of move him back and forth and you got to brace yourself against the wall if you're going to pee into the, into the toilet. And so what he would do, Buddha, is he had a sense of humor. And so when he knew that the owner was taking his, you know, having to pee with his pants down, he started swerving the bus. And we started laughing. And then Benny would come out of the bathroom and he'd be yelling at Buddha, what the f are you doing? And he got, you know, he peed on his clothes, and Buddha would say, oh, sorry, Benny, there was a deer that just ran out. And, you know, we all laughed, and I don't think Benny caught on, I don't know. So uh, it looked like there was a brawl that just happened, and uh, the players went in to fight the fans. Yeah. But that's never happened with yeah. you. You've had fans you wanted to fight. No, it's happened. Uh, where uh, players have gone into the, to the yes, audience? Yes, oh, okay. yes, yes. We were in Denver playing Calgary Flames farm team, and uh, our home base was out of Denver, you know, in a hotel. And uh, we had a brawl one night, and uh, it was my buddy Mike Backman, and uh, he was on our team. We were called the Tulsa Oilers, even though we weren't out of Tulsa anymore. And uh, some fan was chirping him all the time, and so... Mike did something to the fan, which I won't say, and that fan reacted and took his hot chocolate or coffee and just threw it on Mike on the ice, and that's all anybody saw. So Mike, he clicked out, and he grabbed the hockey stick, and he threw it into the stands at this guy, because the guy was probably about six, seven, eight rows up, and he threw it like a propeller of a like, a, like an airplane propeller. It was going head, overhand, and it hit this lady right in the forehead. The guy ducked, and they hit the lady behind him. And, uh, and then George McPhee, who is the president of uh, the Vegas Knights, he was just a young player at that time, and Mike Backman was his real good buddy. In fact, Mike worked for George when George was with Washington. He was not dressed that night, and another guy named Steve Hakala wasn't dressed. And so they ran over from where they were sitting in the stands just to make sure, you know, that 
because Mike went up into the stands with his hockey gear on and his skates. And so a couple more guys followed, and there was a brawl going on. And so George and uh, Hakala, you know, they got in there just trying to help Mike out. And uh, anyways, as as it worked out, one of the fans pulled a gun, and I saw it because he was right near the ice surface. And police came, and they came in there dressing room, and they hauled Mike away in handcuffs. And uh, anyways, it all got settled. But uh, yeah. I've seen a few brawls in the stands, for sure. And the lady that Mike hit, you know, she, I don't think she got cut. She might have had a lump on her head, which, you know, was unfortunate. And Mike, you know, sometimes you do things and you wish you didn't do it. So um, I know he regretted throwing a stick at that man that threw the coffee on him. Um, and if it would have hit him, Mike wouldn't have felt as bad. But it hit a lady, and that was a lady. She was a good lady. All she wanted was an apology. So Mike got in the cab the next day and drove to her house and met her in person and apologized, sincerely apologized, and she was good with that. So need more people like her in this world. Everybody else to try to make a buck. Oh, I'm suing, I'm suing. She wasn't like that, which was... Uh, Refreshing. So maybe this is a very easy trivia question for you, Dad, but it says in minor league hockey, the term slap shot is also often referred to as what? Or maybe it's a hard question. <laughs> the, the, the term, what is it? What is a slap shot? Yeah, I, a nickname for slap shot. I don't know. I'm just going to tell you yeah, the answer. Tell me. The Bible? The Bible. Is that true? I don't know. Well, who made it up? Okay, I mean, there's no hockey players that I know or ever came across that referred to the movie Slapshot as the Bible. Not the movie. I think the an actual Slapshot is... Like, well, still, you know, I've never yeah. heard Slapshot and the word Bible yeah. in the same sentence ever, so I don't, I don't know where that comes okay. from. No. These guys are drinking beer on the bus now. It's after a game. And you can't go to sleep after a game. You're still wired. You say to yourself, you know, you replay the game in your own mind. You know, I should have fought that guy. Why didn't I? How come I passed? I should have shot. How come I shot? I should have passed. Like, you replay the whole game. And I see them drinking beer, which remind me of uh, back in the day. You could buy a six-pack of beer, and it had these uh, plastic rings around them. And uh, sometimes they'd be warm, and all she had to do is you would stick them outside the bus for five minutes at the most. You could jam it in the window so that, you know, the beer was hanging outside the bus, outside, and just travel in that cold winter night for not even five minutes. And you pull it back in, and it was ice-cold beer. So there you go, guys. If you ever need some ice-cold beer in the winter. So it says uh, Paul Newman's player coach character Reggie Dunlop was based on John Brophy, a longtime minor league player and coach who later coached for Toronto Maple Leafs for two and a half seasons. So did you know John Brophy at all? I, I, I've never talked to John Brophy, but I know guys that knew John Brophy, and he was a character. He had his own personality. He was a rough and tumble coach, and... Um, that doesn't surprise me that, that they kind of 
pattern to coach Newman after uh, John Brophy because because he would have he would have uh, certainly allowed this type of hockey to go on. Some coaches they wouldn't let you play like that. Um, Brophy would he would encourage it. Okay, do you know someone named Jean Rosario Tetro? <laughs> he's no. WHA. No. Really? 67? Maybe his name is Jean. I'm assuming it's Jean. He's 67 years old? Yeah. Okay, I should and, know him. But... Uh, so it says he's a... So why I'm bringing him up is that guy lied his way into the movie. When the director asked all the actors to come the next day for their first scenes, he showed up, and when he was asked who he was, his response was that they called him to be there. I feel like I've done that a couple times in my life. You just show up. And so it says the director even ended up writing a scene, especially for Jean, or Jean. Uh, It said, when George saw Jean remove his dentures before a game, he immediately wrote the locker room scene into the script. So this guy played for, uh, he played two seasons, WHA seasons with the Vancouver Blazers and Minnesota Fighting Saints. Yeah, that's, so, that was my era, but yeah. I, you know, maybe if I saw the name in writing or picture what the guy looked like, I don't know, but you know. Here's a picture. No? No, I can't no? see it. All right, well. There's a lesson. Sometimes just show up and see what happens, no, it's right? True. If you got the balls to just show up and pretend to uh, act like you, you 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 belong, I've seen it happen many times before. Success. But you talk about dentures, and uh, you know I remember two things. We had a bench brawl with the Quebec Nordiques, and one of their players on the Quebec Nordiques, a lot of guys lost their teeth playing hockey. It's not uncommon to see guys with no front teeth. You get a stick, punches, pucks in the mouth. It hurts. You lose your teeth. And so with a, the brawl going on the ice, one of the guys took his front teeth out and put it on the boards. And we had a guy who used to be a coach named Robbie Fitorek. And he skated and he coached the LA Kings. He coached Erie Otters, I think. He coached some other minor league teams. He skated over, and Robbie is like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Doesn't swear, uses a straight hockey stick. Um, he walked over, he skated over, and he took his stick, and he two-handed over, like he, he, he like a baseball bat, over top of the dentures and broke this guy's teeth. I'll never forget that. That's the meanest thing I ever saw Robbie do, because he wasn't that kind of guy. And the other thing about teeth... So, you know, in junior, I always wore a mouthpiece, and so I got sticks and punches and headbutts, and my teeth wiggled, but I never lost my front teeth. And uh, when Montreal Canadiens, when I was coming out of junior and they drafted me, they flew myself and my parents into Montreal and, uh, you know, to show us the city and try to sell the hockey team uh, to me. And so they brought me down to the dressing room and uh, they showed me the Montreal Canadiens dressing room in the old Montreal form. And as I'm walking around the dressing room, I see these kind of uh, like styrofoam cup that are taped to the back of this each individual stall. There was probably about 12 stalls that had these styrofoam cups. I'd never seen them before, so I just said, oh, 
what, what, what are those for? And they said, what? He said, well, those are for your teeth. The guys, they'll take their teeth out before the game. And so Montreal had 12 guys that had no front teeth. That was, I just said, uh-oh. Is that what I'm in for if I turn pro? <laughs> again, I wiggled them, et cetera, et cetera, but never lost my teeth. And I've seen guys like uh, that we'd be on airplanes, and so when the food would come, they would uh, take their teeth out and eat their meal, and they put the teeth on the on their tray, their front teeth. And then as they fall asleep, so the stewardess would come by, their flight attendant, and they pick up all the trays, and the guy's sleeping, and the food, you can see it's been eaten and everything. They just take the tray, and they put it in, into the rack, and uh, secure it in the back of the plane. When these guys wake up, they go, where's my teeth? And many times, they had to, you know, when everybody got off the plane, then they had to go back, and they pull out all these trays looking for the guy's teeth many times. So right now, Paul Newman's wife's mad at him. I, again, I've been talking so much, I'm not sure why. But it's not uncommon for girlfriends, wives to be mad at the players. Um, so it's, I know one guy, when I played in Phoenix, that we'd always go out to, you know, again, to have a beer after practice or just go out for a restaurant. And nobody made you drink. You just showed up and be part of the team. And we had one guy who uh, last name was Clark. I can't remember his first name, and he was married. And his wife wouldn't ever let him come out with the guys, wouldn't let him come out with the guys. And so finally the guys were all over him. You know what, you never come out. You're part of this team, you don't show up. And he, you know, he'd always go home. So finally they shamed him enough. He said, okay, I'm coming out. So he came out and he stayed out late with all the guys. And uh, the next day at practice, we say, well, did you survive when you got home? And he said, well, when I got home, my wife had packed my bags and put the suitcase out in the, he said, on the front steps for me. So I guess she got a little sour. So it says, uh, the hockey movie's near constant use of four letter words shocked many critics. Time Magazine said there's nothing in the history of movies to compare with Slapshot for consistent, low-level obscenity of expression. Uh, they counted no less than 176 F-bombs in the original film. During a 1983 interview with Rolling Stone, Newman admitted, Ever since Slapshot, I've been swearing more. You get a hangover from a character like Reggie Dunlop and you simply don't get rid of it. I knew I had a problem when I turned to my daughter one day and said, please pass the effing salt. <laughs> well, so do you agree that there was... Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. I find myself after playing sports, I played at all the sports growing up. Football, baseball, lacrosse, hockey, soccer, tennis, all of them. And so... I would swear. I, I would say the F word myself. And in the dressing room, it just comes out. You don't think of it, you know, in the dressing room when somebody says the F word. You don't think, oh, he's swearing. Like, it's just a word that comes out. And, um, you know, it was hard for me to stop. Even now, I still say that F word. And I'm not saying I'm proud of it. It's just something that, uh, 
it just comes out of your mouth so I know exactly what Paul, Paul Newman's saying, yeah? There is a lot of swearing in the dressing room. And you know what also there is? Is uh, spitting. Now, nobody's going to like that. But when you're sweating and sweating, I don't know, your glands in your mouth, like, you got to spit. It just, like, you got to spit. It just happens. And so you end up for a while there spitting more than you normally. I mean, that, you know, I don't work out to any degree that it causes me to spit. But while you're still an athlete, You'll see guys that are playing now, and it's not only hockey. You have to spit. It's just your mouth. Just you can swallow for quite a bit, but I mean, you end up having to spit. So that's the other bad thing about playing sports is you end up swearing a little more than you should, and you end up spitting more than you should. It's interesting. So we. People know you have a wrestling connection, so it says uh, the Hanson brothers were the inspiration for, behind the creation of the Dudley Boys in ECW. I don't know if you know who they are, uh, but if people want to Google, they they have uh, similar glasses and they act. Oh, do they really? Yeah, so it transcends uh, cultures and sports, it looks like. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is, okay, so those wrestlers, it was kind of like... Uh, you know, my buddy Rowdy Roddy Piper, his thing was he wore a kilt and he, he could play the bagpipes and he'd wear that coming in. And, you know, he's got his nickname, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, these slapshot guys that wore the thick glasses, that's them. Like, they didn't do it for a prop. That's how they couldn't see. And so, you know, you don't want to wear contacts when you play at all. Think I, I've never had that issue, but uh, they would always wear the glasses. And, you know, when you get in fights, um, you you get punched in the face, and you would split those glasses. And I'm sure that's why they had the big white tape in between the two lenses to uh, give a little bit more reinforcement. And you know, they look pretty goofy skating around like that. But again, they were all pretty tough, and you didn't really bunk them about their glasses. I don't know, it looks like Paul Newman's got a girlfriend here. I thought his wife was a Chris. I don't know. It doesn't look like his wife. She's brought him some groceries over and he's in his underwear, so. I don't remember that part. So it looks like there was uh, two sequels to Slapshot. Slapshot 2, Breaking the Ice in 2002, and Slapshot 3, The Junior League, 2008. Uh, Paul Newman and the rest of the original cast did not participate in either sequel. Uh, but the, the Hanson brothers had major roles in both. So I have a feeling, you know, they're direct-to-video kind of film. So probably, probably not great, but you never know. Maybe they're decent. Well, I didn't even know. Not that I should know. But I didn't know that they had uh, another couple slap shots put out. You know, it's like so many movies, and it's not a rule, but so many, the original, then they go, man, we could ride this wave for a while. Everybody liked the original, but usually the ones, you know, after the original, they're not nearly as good for the most part. So I would assume that the second and third you know, just, just never cut it to the same degree as that first one did. 
and I, I could be wrong, but I don't think many hockey movies followed this movie because usually there's trends with movies where if one does well, they kind of do copycats and more. I think there was like some Miracle on Ice or something maybe came yeah, after that. Yeah, Miracle, but you know, that's, that's, with hockey, there's not many hockey, good hockey movies at all. And now, you know, I'm watching this. And, you know, before the game, the fans are outside. And now the fans are brawling. So, did that ever happen? You know, maybe. But I, I you know, it, it, it's a little out of control. Because, I mean, it's all about violence on the ice. But I don't know if the fans were like that. Well, I you don't remember this. But I remember I was like 12 or 13. And there was a brawl at my hockey game with, <laughs> with parents. So, uh, really? I don't know. Maybe it's more common than we think. It could be, but, uh, you know, as an adult, and especially around children, you can't be doing that stuff. Uh, the other team just showed up, and they got some uh, scary-looking dudes on, on the other on the other team. So that goes back to like what I said: you get one tough team, and then the coach and the GM of the other team says, "Okay, you know what? We're not going to experience that again." And so they go out there and they get their own tough guys, and then the game's even rougher. So we'll see what happens here. But I noticed that the stands are full now. And, and again, you know, you, you just knew it. Like, rough hockey, it has its place. I'm not, I know that there's not a lot of people that, well, I don't know if there was a lot, but there's, there's some that have always said, oh, no, there's no place, in, you know, violence in the game of hockey. It's not just all, you know, there's no right or wrong. I guess it's what the individual likes. But uh, so in this scene, you could see some players were actually like looking into the crowd. Did you actually pay when you would play? Would you actually look and see if you recognized regular fans or like signs in the crowd, or were you too focused and you really didn't the pay time, attention? The only time you would look is in maybe in the warm-ups when you know you're skating around the rink, and maybe it's only a quarter, half full before the game starts and then you know as your warm-up goes on more and more people get into the stands yeah. and that's really when i would uh that's really when i would i would i would see any signs that were up there and especially you know every now and then i had signs you know like i said before in my podcast i remember going into philadelphia when they had the tough team and there was only one sign and it said kill connor and i said oh my lord it's gonna be a rough game so so there's, there's, there's signs up there. And then it got to the point, though, the NHL and the, the various leagues, they don't allow signs to go up anymore. So I don't think you're going to see signs anymore. Because they were allowed to bring them up, tape them to the wall. Not anymore. That's changed. Well, and, and tickets are so expensive now that signs actually block people's view, depending well, how they're holding them. Well, it is not not so much people holding signs. I mean, yes, you see that. But they would tape them to the wall. So there, mm. there is some walls that are behind the last rows that you can still read what's written. And so, so, so they used to do that, but they don't allow them to put up the homemade signs anymore. Now there's a stick fight going on the ice. 
two guys have got their sticks and they're, they're, they're using them like swords. You know, I saw only one time that happened, a stick fight. I mean, I saw guys slash each other, but not just stand there and fence and then yeah. start clubbing. I saw that one time in the minors in the American Hockey League in Springfield where uh, there's a team called Hershey Bears and uh, it was the gentleman on our team who I won't talk about, won't say his name, but they had uh, a stick fight and it got out of control and they actually hit each other over their helmets like El Cabunk. And they split each other's helmets like it was wild. So I was on the ice, and I ended up just charging in there and jumping on the player on my team. And I laid over top of his face, his head. He didn't, you know, because, I mean, I think both of them didn't want to keep going, but nobody was going to stop. So I jumped in there, and I covered up. And so that the refs got in at that point. But I've only seen stick fights one time. Once. So I'm going to add, we have a, a few more questions to get through, and believe it or not, the movie's almost done, Dad. So uh, we have a question from Brian, who said, was Cam ever personally present to a pre-game brawl like the Flyers had playoff game in 1987, as shown in this film, or ever witnessed to players going into the stands to fight fans? Well, we did talk about that, uh, which is another thing that happens in this film. So, did you ever see a pre-game brawl? You know, the, you know, there's lots of hockey games and lots of teams, and so there's some that would people that would say, yeah, I've seen it, and I remember. Just my own experience, I might have seen, you know, some fights in the warm-ups, you know. Before the refs got on the ice, there was some fights. But uh, for the most part... You know, you looked at the other team and uh, usually stayed on your own half of the ice unless you're our buddy Kim Claxon, who Kim had more guts than anybody that I know. And uh, the other team would be, you know, warming up in their half and our team's on our half. And old Claxon would go as fast as he could, one full lap around the rink, go into the other team's half of the ice, and uh, go behind the goalie's net, behind the goalie net, and come out the other side. So I've mentioned before, and the other teams, they start figuring out Clackens is going to do this all the time. So five of them would stand behind the net, and Clackson, he wouldn't go around them or cut in front of the net. He would be like a bowling ball. He would run those five guys. He didn't care, the old Clacker. So, you know, there was some activity, but I, I for the most part, never never witnessed any brawls and I do remember in junior when we were late coming out of our dressing room and uh, usually when you're late you just go to your half of the ice and we took on the Edmonton Oil Kings they were called they had a tougher team than us and uh, we've been on the road over a week already so when we come on the ice this junior team they lined up not on the halfway at the red line they lined up on our blue line and they took three quarters of the ice when we went on the ice. And we just stayed between our blue line and, and our, you know, the end boards. We, so we had one quarter of the ice. They had three quarters of the ice. And uh, we didn't do a thing about it. We just stayed in our little piece of ice that they gave us. So they knew right away they got us. And uh, 
it uh, you know that game they ended up brawling us the whole team went on the ice our six guys on the ice got the snot beat out of them our coach would not let anybody you know join to help out and I saw two guys holding our goalie and one guy his name was Darcy Rhoda on the other team would be punching this little goalie of ours right in the face and uh, you know they needed help but our coach his name was Jerry Brisson he wouldn't let anybody go out and help so you, they just knew they had us when we didn't put up a fuss. If Clacker was on our team, guarantee we had a brawl. He wouldn't have put up with that. And I did, and I'm kind of ashamed of myself. So I'm going to add uh, another question. It's from Matthew. He says, Cam, glad this is a discussion. Reggie Dunlop and Gordy Howe, great similarities, both the core of their teams. Wanted to say Happy New Year. Hope your show continues to have great success. Uh... So basically, since you did, I know you talked a little bit about Gordy Howe, but um, do you think he saw any of the similarities between him and the main character, Reggie Dunlap, or not? Well, you know, I would say there probably wasn't any similarities between Gordy Howe and Reggie Dunlap. You know, and again, when Gordy and I watch this movie, he did not like the way hockey players were portrayed there. They're shown as pretty simple kind of guys, almost like cavemen out there. And uh, he didn't like it at all. He walked away, you know, pretty sour on this Slapshot movie. Do you remember what he ordered <laughs> in the movie theater? Yeah, well, what we all order, we just order popcorn. Yeah. Oh yeah, we all loved that. Did popcorn. did he talk through the movie to you? Like, was he like, no, you know, you, making comments under his breath about things? Or? Yeah, he he would just go, he'd shake his head and he go, "Come on, you know, come on," because we're all proud of our sports, and you know, it was great to get the publicity and and you know, again, this movie there's, there's some truth to it. I, I I wouldn't deny that there is, but again. Um, the gist of it is just a little far-fetched for the game of hockey, but it's kind of kind of in that direction back in those days, for sure. And I think I heard, uh, Chris, that uh, Paul Newman actually really enjoyed doing this movie. It was one of his favorite movies that he's made. I, I, I heard that or read that many years ago, so that's uh, you know a feather in our cap for hockey. Yeah, I read that as well. It said as his life was, his career was ending, and I think as he was getting older in his life, he reflected back on the many movies he made, and this was a highlight. And I don't think they made his character dumb, right? No. It's just, they have to, I think, pepper in a few stereotypical type uh, portrayals of hockey players. But I feel like even in football and baseball, you still have your couple comedic stereotypes. Yep. Yeah, no, you do. You do. There's no doubt about it. But uh, again, it's pretty hard to make a good hockey movie because it's not like you're running and throwing a ball or catching a ball, which, you know, you got to learn how to skate. And believe me, if you're an adult that's trying to learn how to skate and you didn't learn it as a kid, yeah, you can. But boy, it's going to take one heck of a long time to learn how to skate and have your balance and 
as an adult, you better wear a full equipment because when you fall down and you land on those elbows, that ice, there's no give in the ice. Like I've got bone chips on both elbows that, uh, you know, float around in the elbows. And every now and then you extend your arm and a bone chip just jabs you. Um, so, you know, and I know how to skate, but as an adult, I've seen people land on their heads learning how to skate. And you feel like you cracked your head open. And uh, these ones, you know, weren't the smarter ones, didn't wear helmets. And uh, so it's, it's this movie um, was probably one of the better movies that came out. And, and I'm glad it came out for sure. But, uh, you know, it's just the portrayal isn't exact carbon copy of the game of hockey and the and the players themselves but it is interesting because it's you know when you read the synopsis of the movie it says it de- depicts a minor league ice hockey team that resorts to violent play to gain popularity in a declining factory town and that goes back to a lot of times what you say teams should be doing now not violent play necessarily but tougher and more aggressive play to to maybe raise the popularity and crowd engagement so you know as much as it might not be realistic it does say some of the things that you (laughs) that you agree with you know and i also talk to fans because as i said earlier today there 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 are lots of fans that i've come across and they talk about the violence and it's so good that you don't have that kind of hockey anymore i don't say a word because again there's not a right or wrong answer. It's your own opinion. But I've talked to many individuals, you know, when I do podcasts from England and uh, different spots around North America, I do the podcast. And they all say that they miss that aggressive part of hockey. Like they miss it. I think there could have been rules put into place to make sure it never got out of hand. Um, you know, but they just pretty well eliminated the rough spot part of hockey. And, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're saying, oh, well, look how well we're doing. The games are all sold out. Yeah, they are. You know, it's, it's good hockey. But I just think they're missing from the true game of hockey. They're missing an element of keep your head up, open ice, body checks. They, they, they could have just dummied down on some of these goofy penalties that they have. But, you know, the idea that hockey is in good shape. I think, what does it cost now, Chris? Like $750 million for a franchise if you want to get back in our day in the world hockey. You know, you could have bought a franchise for $25 million, I think. And uh, then, you know, the teams that merged with the NHL, you know, what did they get? $100 million. So... You know, look look where we are today. So Bettler's done a good job in uh, raising the profile of the game of hockey, but I still miss those elements of the game that it's not the way it used to be. And and I'm saying this not because, you know, I played a rough game. That's not the reason why. It was entertaining to watch. Uh, nobody liked the goon hockey. Like you're seeing with Slapshot, like that was goon hockey. They brought in hitmen to go out and jump guys and to use their sticks. And, you know, that's that's somewhat exaggerated. Um, but, you know, there's a fine line between that goon hockey and just rough, aggressive hockey. And that's, that's all I'm saying. I, I don't like to see the goon hockey. I played in the era when there was guys that never would have made the team other than they uh, would fight. 
Some of them were pretty damn good. Said out here just in the movie where Paul Newman's at somebody's house. I don't know if it's the owner's house or their hockey team. And they're talking about selling it to somebody in Florida. <laughs> it's hard to to pay attention to every detail when you're trying to share your own stories too. Well, uh, it is. And I think what some people seem to do is they do commentaries over movies that they've watched 20 times and so you don't even have to pay attention but i've never seen this movie i've read a lot about it and you watched it what would that have been like 40 years ago it was give exactly, or take? It, exactly right. so you know and, uh, and if you haven't watched it and you like the game of hockey it might be interesting for sure you know just like uh what was that movie when uh they were golfing and they do that that hockey slap shot. I forget what it's called. Some people liked it, but you know, yeah. I I. So it's you know the the fact uh, at the beginning of the movie where they the um, Carlson brothers, Hanson brothers, brought in their own, their toys. Yep. Well, it seems like the toys in the hotel room were the, their actual toys. So. Uh, Maybe that was like a good luck charm for them or something. What they, does that mean? It was their actual It toys. says the toys in the hotel room were the Carlson brothers' own toys. Okay, so their well, cars, maybe? I don't know. Well, like, what that probably meant was maybe they had kids or, you know, and, good, and the good producer luck said, hey, do you got any toys? Bring them in. Like, I don't know. You know <laughs> I don't know anybody. Yeah, well, maybe, so, maybe somebody knows the answer to this. You know, a show now before the game that got girls in the dressing room partying with the guys, and uh, that never would happen. Like, Although there, the access, I think, like if you wanted to try and get into a locker room, dressing room now, it's virtually impossible. You have to get through like six locked doors and security. Well, but that's Chris. That's at the NHL level. Yeah. In the minors, they don't have that kind of security. Right, so I'm saying you never know who can come and go. And yeah, dress yeah but as a player, you would not get caught dead bringing a girl in the dressing room before right. the game. And now there was like eight of them in there. That just wouldn't happen. Yeah. It, it's sacred. Before a game, you think about the game. You know, you talk hockey. Um, you, you don't think about women, that's for sure. But if you look at that equipment that's hanging in there, they're in their locker room now. It seems like uh, something's happened to the team where they're, they're going to be sold. But they show the equipment hanging up in the stalls. And uh, those are the same kind of shoulder pads that I got. They're very, very thin. thin. <laughs> and you still wear them. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm too cheap to go out and spend the kind of money they want. Now it is the only thing I went and bought brand new was elbow pads. And I had to buy a helmet. Yeah, that equipment. You can see what today. What you, you know, you're almost like a knight in armor. Like it's they get way better equipment, skates, shin pads. The equipment's a lot lighter. And and as I've mentioned before, 
when I put in all my put all my hockey gear on, I weighed myself with no clothes on before I got dressed, and then I didn't wear a helmet, so there's no helmet weight. Then I stood on fully dressed, not holding a hockey stick, just you know, with my gloves on, and it was 22 pounds worth of equipment. With skates or without? With skates. Wow. With skates. And they got pictures of in the lockers of naked women, you know, posters. That doesn't happen. So now the Hanson brothers have asked that they could start the lineup tonight, be the starting lineup. So Newman says, sure. So you know what's going to happen because we've seen that many times when I played the game. You look at the starting lineup, and the other team they they put down, you know, who they're going to have start, and you just know. You look at the lineup and you go, all right, it's going to be that kind of night. They put all their tough guys on the ice, and and I remember in junior, we were on the road in uh, it's called New Westminster, British Columbia, and. Uh, we look at the starting lineup, holy cow, it was all their tough guys, so what does our coach do? He puts all our tough guys in the starting lineup, Claxon is on my team, and so he was a defenseman, they put him as a forward, and the opening face-off, as soon as the puck was dropped, Clacker went right after the winger beside him. I had a beef to uh, with a, a defenseman out there, and, uh, so I went after the defenseman, what a brawl six against six it was you know we got kicked out of the game and the fans would come after us so we couldn't even you know sit in the stands we had to sit on the bench you know with our suits on because the fans were so mad at us but uh, you know so so it looks like uh, that's what's going to happen the Johnstown, Johnstown's Chiefs putting the Hanson brothers out there I'm sure they got their top two defensemen and it should it should be uh, a rough game. We'll see. So yeah, so they uh, they found out that basically the the team's popularity uh, was for nothing, and they're basically a write off for the year. So uh, now it's the Chiefs, and they're going against the main rival Syracuse. So. We'll see, but it looks like Syracuse has uh, stuck their team full of goons. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they got somebody with more paint on his face. And, uh, you know, so again, that's some of the games that all of us have to, you know, put up with. With both teams would stack their lineups with tough guys, and uh, those really weren't a lot of fun to play, but. You know what? You play. <laughs> so they're just bringing back all these tough retired players that are just... Yep. It said he owned a donut shop. And <laughs> they brought him back just because uh, he was a Pendleton Minute yeah. leader yeah, back in the day. Yeah, that's what they would do. Ha <laughs> ha.
deportation to Canada and they didn't accept him. And that's that. What's his name? So, Ogie Oglethorpe right. is playing against Johnstown Chiefs and. No, uh, not. Um, Johnstown Jets, right? Johnstown's and, Jets. And the Chiefs, yeah. Anyways, so. And that's what you find, you know, like when you line up against somebody, and they're and they, the other team starts talking, to you, how's it going? What's going on? Where do you go after? You know, you got them. So right now, the Chiefs, they look a bit, li little bit nervous. The, the team that's been put out against them. So the Chiefs are talking to the other team. But uh, like that part is true. Yeah, so right now it's uh, it, goalies aren't fighting hockey. yet, but it's yeah. yeah, it's five on five. And again, that's uh, that. I mean, that did happen. It wasn't game in and game out, but uh, there was those type of lineups some nights that you just knew it was going to be one rough game. So this is somewhat exaggerated, although, like I said, that did happen. Uh, you know, the teams I played with a few times. The whole ice erupted into scrapping. And it's kind of interesting, Chris, when you look at, they show you the goalies. If you look at the goalies today, seriously, they're like six foot six, six foot eight, huge. And their pads are like two pieces of plywood. They're just huge. And their blockers and uh, like the equipment is big to fit those frames. And you look at, you know, what these goalies, the equipments that they wore, you know, they hardly covered the net. They were little goalies. And you wonder why, you you know, I wonder why I wasn't shooting more because there was a lot more net to see than there is today. When you think of such violent hockey, it's almost... I wonder if it's better to be the goalie because <laughs> oh, you're the one who's not fighting. At Chris, least. I can yeah. honestly say without, honestly, there were some nights I wish I was a goalie. Seriously. Because I knew I'd have to fight. And I said, man, those lucky goalies, like, they don't have to do shit as far as their rough stuff is concerned. And if a goalie doesn't leave his net to go fight the That's other goalie, it. it looks okay. I guess unless the goalie comes all the way down the other end of the yep. ice. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, so I think this is what where Dunlop's gonna say. You guys gotta. Is it just the end of the period? First period. So I think he's gonna say, we gotta bring back the violence in our or the toughness of our game. Well, and that's like I again I repeating myself, but when we took on the Minnesota Fighting Saints, we brawled the whole the whole like every twelve fights going on at one time, and. Um, you know, when we went back to their ring, I don't know, a week later, less than a week later, it was a sellout, you know, in, in uh, Minnesota, St. Paul area, it's called. 19,000 people at the game were sold out. And uh, they came out, again, they had a tough team. They had these slapshot guys on the team. And they came out and they ran us and they, they 
abused us out there. And nobody on my team, including myself, we took enough. We let them run us. They dominated us. And so, as I see right now... He's saying every NHL GM, scout is in the audience. Yeah. The, so, they're saying, what's going on, you guys? Like, you can't just play like that and let the other team beat you up and not stand up for yourself. And so, that's what I did for myself. So, after that first period against the Fighting Saints, and I admit it, I didn't do anything either. But between periods, I didn't get up, nor did anybody else do a big speech. We got to stand up to him. I just told myself, I called myself a coward. I said, you got to be a man and you better show up next period. So I made myself go out and I ended up fighting, you know, one of the Carlson brothers. Uh, and, and according to Jack, and I thought Jack was the toughest Carlson, Carlson, Carlson brother. Um, but according to the program I read before the game, he said he's not afraid of anybody except his older brother. I don't know if it's Steve or Jeff, whoever the older brother. He said, that's the only guy I'm afraid of. Well, that's the guy I ended up fighting. I didn't go looking for him, but we collided at center ice and he come after me. And uh, I ended up beating him. And all of a sudden, I got a little braver. I said, if that's their toughest guy, and I beat him. So all of a sudden, you know what? I was doing a little bit more running around and... Uh, the game calmed right down. And so we ended up tying that night, and I was pretty happy. I survived. But I felt pretty good that I made myself show up. I, I was scared, but you got to do what you got to do sometimes in life. And that's, you know, I kind of got that vibe from Roddy Roddy Piper. When we were younger, we kind of challenged ourselves to, you know what? We didn't want to do certain things, but we just knew you got to do it, man. Show up, and so we would overcome our fears, and we would uh, we would show up whether it was scrapping at dances or bikers or whatever. And uh, you know what? You're pretty glad after when you do show up and you survive. So I think that's where it came from. And, uh, so now it looks like uh, the Chiefs are. Fighting back a bit. Well, that's it. They just said we got to do what we got to do. So there's a brawl going on right now. But one guy's come off the bench and he's skating and he's putting on a show. Nothing to do with the scrap. So that's unheard of. I mean, that's just pretty phony. I don't even like watching that. And he's taking his gear off like he's a stripper on the ice. <laughs> but again, look at the equipment. That's what we wore back in those days. There was no pads on the back. Today, you know, I think they got pads that go down your spine. Yeah. Back in our day, you go in front of the net, they would cross-check you with that wooden stick across your spine. It hurt, you know. They didn't, like, you didn't have equipment that would fix it. But, yeah. So I know what you would be doing if you saw someone doing this on the ice. <laughs> you would stop the fight you're in and... You would you'd just go run this guy. Like you just wouldn't put your foot up with that. That's degrading to the game of hockey. I don't even know how the crowd is cheering. <laughs>
I can picture Gordy Howe watching that scene. No wonder he was upset. Well, that's that's exactly it. But it is a movie. He's taking off his garter belt. Entertainment. It's kind of like in uh, WWF wrestling when there's someone that distracts the wrestlers and everyone loses focus and then they (laughs) start fighting again. See, they're all stopped. Like I said, that's just goofy. Do you remember this ending? I don't. I don't <laughs> even. I don't. I. This is the only second time I've ever watched this movie. The first time, like it's, I said, it, but it's kind of memorable to have a, a strip tease at the end of a big brawl. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, doesn't happen. So then uh, Syracuse player is protesting what's happening, saying it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd is saying take it all off. <laughs> so then... Uh, so it sounds like you, Dad. This is a serious game, not a freak show. Yelling at the ref. Yeah, I don't get this part, but I do hope it's almost over. So he's grabbing the ref by the neck, you can, and then he just knocks him out. Yeah, right. So, uh, so they, so Syracuse gets disqualified, and it looks like the Chiefs win, which is uh, a a strange but memorable ending to what is probably their last game before being sold or folding. Well, that takes courage. <laughs> I think that I think that's the player that um, was offered a contract from the New York Rangers, so you could have played with him, Dad. <laughs> you could have got beat up in practice. You ever pull something like that? That's funny. I mean, I've never watched this movie before, but I, I never have heard of that scene as part of the movie. You never really hear about that. But I guess he was uh, showing a non-violent <laughs> protest. Did you ever have a parade for any of your championship i guess the the stanley cup parade yeah we had the stanley cup parade and uh that was different because you know we all got on a on a op- kind of an open air bus if you can figure out what i'm trying to say and uh you would have you know we had thousands of people you know just lined up because they love their hockey in montreal they love their hockey players and um the fans would actually rush the bus, and some of the girls, they kind of pulled themselves up to the door and were asking for autographs on their shirt, and some of them on their breasts. It was pretty wild. Yeah, 
Oh, so maybe I was just looking at this movie. I think who I thought was Paul Newman's wife is that his wife? That's the owner. That's the owner. So yeah. maybe okay. I, I don't I don't know who's who in this movie. I thought maybe he had a girl in his room. Anita McCambridge. It's kind of, so your team folded, right? After that team that didn't have a... Yeah, Tulsa. So once you won the championships, then you folded? Yeah. So it's kind of similar. Yeah, well, you know, they didn't have a team... Uh, like, who would put a team back in Tulsa? Right. When Was they there... weren't drawing any people, they didn't have a rink. They'd... Who wants to have their players have to use a fire hose to shower? Did you have a celebration after or did you just all pat oh, each other on the back no we we did it that night and then we couldn't wait to be able to end the season like we loved each other we played together and we're all friends for life but we were pretty happy when the year was over and then you know i flew back to tulsa because that's where you and mom were and uh, i remember we got a u-haul and drove back to new york well so it's end. So I actually enjoyed it. I mean, the ending was a strange way to end it. I don't think you had to end it that way, but maybe I, maybe I missed the the deeper meaning of the striptease. <laughs> but uh, I like the movie. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was uh, interesting to see nineteen seventies hockey. And I know there were parts that were exaggerated, but that's typically. No. I mean, it's not a documentary. It's no. a movie. No, no, for so. sure. But you know. I think the whole point is to talk about this and the people that haven't seen the movie, the people that have, there's people that know the game of hockey and, and know what this movie's all about. But there's some, again, who don't really know the game of hockey. And if this is the only movie on hockey that they're exposed to and they don't know the game of hockey, I just don't want them to think this is exactly how it is. Or to think uh, a striptease is good enough way to, to win a game, although they won. So, everyone, thanks for listening. Hope you like this. Uh, Dad, I was going to make a joke saying I forgot to press record, but I thought you would attack me. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed this. And uh, if you did, let us know. We have email, viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. Dad's on Twitter, Cam Connor NHL. You're on Instagram. And you're on Cameo. So if you want a shout out, check uh, out Cameo. And uh, I guess that's it. So until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. <laughs>